This is the Reason Interview with Nick Gillespie. Thanks for listening. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. More on them later in the show. Today's guest is the immensely popular podcaster and writer Bridget Fetessy, who recently packed up her family and left Los Angeles, California for Texas in search of affordable living, lower crime, and quieter evenings that are all within an easy drive to Joe Rogan's Comedy Mothership Club in Austin, where she sometimes performs. Leaving the hustle-heavy entertainment capital of the world and becoming a first-time mother a little over a year ago hasn't dulled Bridget's edge, though. What stupid fucking times we live in, reads a signature tweet. She's a must-follow on Twitter. And in recent columns for The Spectator, she talks frankly and memorably about how she learned to stop worrying and love the burbs, when she realized she needed to leave California, and she also talks with members of the LGBTQ plus community about why pride lost the public. We talk about all that, especially what motivated her and her husband to choose Texas over California, and why she remains politically homeless despite just moving to a red state. At one point in our conversation, she says that living in a blue area surrounded by red voters might be the best of all possible worlds. She also explains why she's done with Joe Biden and Donald Trump, but muses over the circumstances under which she might just vote for conservative Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Yet to drive home the topic or the concept of political homelessness, Within hours of our talking, she messaged me with a link to a terrible DeSantis campaign attack video accusing Donald Trump of being too trans friendly and touting the Florida governor's bona fides on shutting down all sorts of gay friendly activities in the Sunshine State. I knew I never should have said that I'd vote for him, she wrote with a laugh cry emoji. Puke, can we re-record? Well, we couldn't re-record, but keep her message in mind as you listen to today's Reason interview with Bridget Fetessy. Bridget Fetessy, thanks for talking to Reason. Thank you for having me. Always uh, exciting to be back. Yes, it's been, a, it's been a couple of years. And when I last talked to you, or when Reason last talked to you, you were living uh, in luxury in California, in Los <laughs> Angeles in particular, on May 1st of this year, after 16 years in the Golden State, uh, you uh, left and moved to Texas. You, mm -hmm. in a uh, fantastic piece for the Spectator, uh, what did, what do they go by now? It's the British Spectators. It's Spectator World. Yes. Yes. Well, that's so. the 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 United States version. Right. Okay. Yes. You know, it was in the Spectator. There'll be a link in the show notes and all of that. But you likened California to uh, a crazy abusive ex with whom the sex was amazing. Why would you, <laughs> why would you ever leave such a, such a deal? Uh, it didn't, it wasn't an easy decision. I mean, I, it was really just a series of things happening. I kind of was feeling like I wanted to leave before the pandemic, really 2017, 2018. I remember there was a very, very, it was during a heat wave and my cousin and co-producer Maggie were on a walk and everything was just, there were just tent communities everywhere. There, It started to seem like there was a lot of decay in the city. The city itself just looked grimy. There was garbage everywhere on off every overpass. 
And it wasn't how I remembered it. I had been there at that point for about 10 years. And in that 10 years, I had seen just the city take a nosedive. Meanwhile, everything was getting more and more expensive. Even even still, the market is hot there. The house that I was renting sold for an exorbitant amount of money for what is essentially a teardown. So it's still... a people still want to go live there. And during the pandemic, a lot of New Yorkers moved there. A lot of our neighbors moved in from New York, but because compared to New York, I guess it was, it was free and they had space. Yeah. And well, you, so and you the, could go outside. I mean, I was part yeah, of you that. Could go uh, yeah. <laughs> I, spent, I ended up spending seven months in late 2020 and early 2021 uh, in Los Angeles. Cause it was near family, but mostly it was like, okay, it's going to suck, but you you don't have to be indoors in the same way. Yes. But and can I ask, like with LA, you, you originally showed up there. You wanted to be an actress, right? Or, yeah, and, and I wanted I, to be. Yeah. When I first moved there, when I was 19, I wanted to be an actress or 20, I guess. And then I realized I don't think I had what it took in terms of driving around and kind of begging for approval. I, th- I think that job is so hard. Just. Yeah. And when it's you can cool. do it, you know, in your apartment via YouTube and Twitter and everything else, right? Well, that wasn't the plan. No. I then realized yeah. that I could be a writer. Yeah. Like, I, I didn't know that you could have that as a job. I just always did it. It was something I always wanted to do, but it wasn't something that I was aware you could do and make a decent living. And back in those days, in the early 2000s, people were making a great living writing. And so that's how I ended up getting into getting the idea in my head that I could be a writer. And it wasn't something that I had to go to, you know, I, in my mind, you had to go to a a very fancy college and get a degree in creative writing and write novels and live in New York city. That was, that was the only path to, Yeah, I think that dream is definitely (laughs) dead, you know, for almost everyone, but but, you know, in L.A., uh, you know, I guess this is a question. How old are you now, if you don't mind my asking? Oh, um, I'm 44. OK. And so you showed up. You were about 30 or in late 20s when you showed up in L.A.? When I was. Oh, so I've been I've had a love hate relationship with that city for uh, many, many decades. So the yeah. first time I moved there was right after rehab. Actually, I was around 20. I wasn't even 21. I was 20. and. I was there for two years and well, I was there and then I left and then I went back. Mm -hmm. And so I've always had this this love hate. The crazy ex. Yeah. Right. I mean, this goes way back, way further than, than just recent events and recent California. But I also had an aunt and uncle who took me, they love California. They took me up the coast. We, they showed me Big Sur. I stayed with them for a summer. I went to UCLA for extension classes. I really fell in love with the West Coast in a way. I didn't know I was like an outdoorsy chick until yeah. I moved to the West Coast. Yeah, what did I was you from love? New England. What did you love about California? I mean, because oh, California so much is, I love. Uh, you know, is, is, I mean, for, a, you know, at least the second half of the 20th century, if not longer, it, it defined the American dream. To, you know, the it's, American dream was the California dream. What did you love about California? I'll never, I'm honestly, I'll never forget 
it started really young because I had this aunt and uncle who lived there and they would bring us out for spring breaks. And before that even happened, I had these California Barbies that I used to play with. And I would imagine myself living in California and rollerblading. And I lived that dream. And it was such an amazing when I'll never forget the first time I ever saw San Francisco. It was it was like going to a snow globe. It was like I entered a snow globe without the winter. It was just so everything was so sparkly and shiny and beautiful. And and it was pro- that was probably in 95 when I was that was the summer I stayed with them. And to celebrate me finishing these classes and doing well, they took me on this awesome road trip. We stayed in Carmel. We stayed in all these. So this is the stuff I love about California. I love there's so many little gems. I became obsessed with Joshua Tree. It became kind of, I always call it my church and I would go there about once a quarter. I, I just, there was so, I love being able to go to San Diego. I just loved the beaches. I loved, I love the, I've spent many kind of, uh, trim seasons, I guess, up in the redwoods and these farms and areas in Mendo and, Um, there's just, that state is truly one of the most beautiful states. What about the people? Did you, did you connect with people in California? Cause the, the physical beauty, and this is something as you know, I'm talking to you from New York where I was born and I was raised near here and I came back here and I love New York and New York city in particular, but you know, the East coast, it, until I moved west to California where I lived in the nineties. And again, during the pandemic, you know, you kind of short sell uh, if physical beauty means anything, but mm. you know, the physical beauty of California remains overwhelming. But yes. what, what did you, uh, what did, how did you feel about the people? Did you find Californians, you know, particularly interesting or were they as striking as the landscape to you? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I never, yeah. I felt I was still very much an East Coaster at heart. And so I, I always felt a little bit more abrasive than people who are from, particularly from the West Coast. They didn't always get my sense of humor. But luckily in, in LA, there's so many people from everywhere. And when I, w- when I first moved there in my early, when, when I was 20, I was dating a man much older than me and he was in this artist community and they were all illustrators working for all the studios doing character design for, for animated films. And they also did New Yorker covers and they were freaking brilliant. I mean, they were, it was, and that was when I was, I saw, and they were from France and Spain and it was uh, the, in Egypt and the conversations were so interesting and, that was when I really became aware that LA attracts some of the most creative people in the entire world because of the industries there. And so that was attractive to me, just how diverse and interesting the people were. What I didn't really realize at the time was that, and this was kind of during Bush and everybody was freaking out about Bush becoming elected. And I thought it was going to be the end of the world. And, you know, the apocalypse was uh, maybe maybe it was, you know, things maybe. Yeah. Things uh, haven't like gotten better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, oh. the, the I don't know if that's just Let's the, blame Bush. 
you know? Let's he, blame Bush. Yeah, yeah. Both of them. All of them. All of the Bushes. Even the British band, the Britpop band. It's so funny. He seems so quaint now. It's, yeah, isn't it's that, so weird. That's amazing but, how quickly presidents go from being, you know, the Hitler of the moment to some lovable weirdo who shows up at <laughs> supermarket openings and gives out paintings that he does, yeah, right? It's like from war criminal to, <laughs> <laughs> to cutting ribbons. That, I would and, love to see Henry Kissinger or somebody like do that most of his time, just go around to the opening of new gold gym <laughs> fitness clubs or something, right? So, yeah, so people were freaking out in California, but, you know, in L.A. Um, but then you were saying by the time, you know, like, before the uh, pandemic and this, so this would have, you know, 2016, 2017. So the new villain is Donald Trump, right? And, you know, it's time to go to Canada and all of that. But you were saying LA was starting to look kind of ratty to you. Can you? Yeah, I think too, to finish my, what I was trying to, my point I was trying to make. I apologize for interrupting. No, no, no. I was my own fault. My, my, what I didn't realize and what I can look back and realize is that it there and what I see now is the way in cities like Los Angeles, the everyone speaks as if everyone agrees with them about politics. They, there's this assumption that everyone is on board. And that was something that didn't really become clear to me until around 2015, 2016, 2017, particularly and weirdly in you know, 12 step meetings, people were kind of freaking out about Trump and they were openly talking about politics, which is a big no, no. in AA meetings, it's like, that is an outside issue. You don't want to alienate somebody who might be a Trump supporter. Who's also trying to get sober. (laughs) And I, that would be so hard to be a Trump supporter and try to get sober (laughs) at the same time. Although I suspect it's that way for Biden supporters now, right? Or Kamala Harris supporters to keep in California. <laughs> They're just trying to get sober. <laughs> <laughs> there's like yeah. a lot of reasons. There's always reasons to drink, right? And yeah. then there's yeah. politics on top of it. And then there's politics. <laughs> so I started noticing, again, just that assumption or presumption that everybody agreed. And I also started because I was being more outspoken in just terms of being critical of some of the left-wing insanity, I was noticing people felt safe to be honest with me about their politics. And then I started realizing like, there are a lot of people who don't agree with all of this, but they don't feel like they can say anything. So I don't think, um, I think that was something that I, I really became aware of later in life was just how much ideological lockstep everyone is in or assumes everyone else is in. Do you think, uh, you know, there's something about California as a state and LA as a city, and obviously San Francisco is really kind of the poster child for a, you know, a significant American city that has literally and figuratively gone to shit. Um, But LA is pretty bad, right? Um, do you think there's a connection between people in California being kind of in ideological lockstep or conformist, at least publicly, to you know, the, the state losing population and kind of becoming less livable and the city? Because I, what was striking to me, having lived in L.A. in the mid-90s, and it was still, you know, I, I think it's 
you know, it's arguable, but it's kind of fair to say that L.A. in a lot of ways peaked in the 80s with the 84 Olympics and everything. And, you know, mm. it became the second largest city in the country and it was just going great. And it's been kind of declining since then. But certainly it seems to have picked up in the last several years where you talked about homeless encampments that are gigantic. There's a real sense of sketchiness. I mean, it's always yeah. been there, but it just it's always seems, been sketchy. It's all it just is kind of you know, pushing through. Do you do you think any of that, any of the kind of political realities or the, um, you know, uh, life on the ground, like where, you know, garbage doesn't get picked up, uh, you know, there's a lot of weird street incidents. The schools in the LA Unified School District are losing, you know, tens of thousands of children because they're very well funded, but they're just poorly, you know, kind of administered. Is Do you think that's part of the political lockstep? Yes. And, and I do think there's some kind of weird Stockholm syndrome that happens. I, I'm not sure because it was always sketchy. It was always Los Angeles. My, I would go travel around the world and my, I'd come home and my dad would be like, Oh, be careful when you're out there. I'm so, you know, I'm like, I live in LA. It's not exactly like I'm living in a quaint, I have to be just as careful here as I do in other countries. Yeah. You're like and, always one turn away from going down an alley. That's like, from The Shining or something, like a hallway <laughs> in The Shining where you are going to see some kind of weird fucked up shit, you know, and then it's like, oh, let's go to Rodeo Drive and go shopping or something. It, it's a very strange place. It is a very strange place. And I think it went through something in the 90s. People forget about the riots and just how crazy it was. And then I think in the aughts with this rise of technology and tech um, like YouTube stardom really changed the city and brought in Instagram. The influencers really lived and became this culture in Los Angeles. And there was this, when I moved there in 2007, it was very kind of shiny and, and everyone was, I don't know, it was, a, it, the odds were kind of a, a golden era time in LA, I think too. And then things started just, it's not even necessarily the outward expression of garbage and homelessness, which just seems to get worse and worse no matter what we do or how much money we throw at it. it it's the something, and I'm not sure if this was just post-George Floyd or whatever happened then, there there was always a sense of lawlessness in the West and in LA in particular. No one obeys traffic laws. I count to three at every red light because someone just decides <laughs> that they don't exist. Um, everyone's on drugs, <laughs> <laughs> some kind of pill or something. And a supplement. But you know? they stopped. There was a sense that crime was no longer being prosecuted. So you are hearing just more, you're like those apps where you see whatever's happening. It's in, even in five years, it was just suddenly like, oh, there was a, everybody's cattle, their converters were getting stolen, their cattle, right. the converters and yeah. everybody's house was getting scoped and people were getting, you know, there were more armed robberies. There just seemed to be these more brazen crimes. There's that horrific story of, 
Brianna Kupfer, who was murdered in a furniture store and they found him and it was a big manhunt, the guy who killed her. But again, it was, there was this, that, that older woman who was killed in her home. She was shot in a home Mm -hmm. invasion. There was just a lot more of that happening. It also is, you know, now that you think, uh, now that you talk about it, I'm thinking too, crime in, in LA especially seems to be uniquely made for television where there are they will always like show the manhunts in real time yeah they have tons of helicopters and whatnot in a way that is kind of weird and unique i mean it's 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 on the nose for la as a you know the city of dreams or something and, and everybody wants to be a star and it's like if you have to go the charlie manson route well you know he tried the music business that didn't work so you know let's just go with murder and mayhem <laughs> Honestly, we this is what happens. We know what happens with artists who don't succeed. They either become pundits yeah. or murderers. Well, you uh what well, was there a moment you you also you had a baby? Uh when I did. was your daughter born? She was she's uh you 14 months remember, old. You, you do not remember her birthday, do you? I do. I don't like okay. to say it. It's oh, like okay, I'm enough. just but, I'm so about that stuff. was there, um, you know, uh, you were building towards leaving California and leaving Los Angeles to quote a forgotten but Oscar winning Nicolas Cage movie about alcoholism and the Boulevard of Broken Dreams dark. in Las Vegas. But were you was there a particular moment you were like, fuck it, I got to get out of here? Yes. I, there was actually, I, I mean, there were many, many, many moments in my husband and I, just the governance, the laws that were even making it as far as they were making it, even if they got vetoed, it was just like every time I paid a tax bill, I was enraged. And I, because I could look around, I'm like, where is this money going? We have a horrible, <laughs> we, the schools are horrible. The streets yeah. are horrible. What, where I felt like Cardi B, you know, like where the, where the fuck is my money? <laughs> Um, show me, show me something. I would, I really am a bleeding heart liberal. If I felt like that money was going somewhere to help people and, and to educate our youth and to make sure that we have nice infrastructure, we have no water. And yet no one seems to do anything about when we have tons of rain gathering water. Like these are things we know that we could be doing. We have people would be mad about the recall and they would be talking about how, oh, you guys, this is just a waste of taxpayer money. I'm like, you you clearly <laughs> know nothing about California. You know how much taxpayer money we've wasted on a freaking rail that we've been building for decades. It's infuriating to me. But I was I had recently had my daughter I was in an underpass like or under under an overpass and there was a whole encampment to my right. She was in the back seat. I was, you know, no one else was in the car with me. It was just me and her. She was probably four months old or so. She was still very little. And there was all this ruckus going on at the encampment and a crazy homeless person was just waving a bat around and we were stuck in traffic under this overpass and i was like if this guy hits her window with this bat i'm gonna go to jail for murder i'm gonna i'm gonna lose my mind but there it was also terrifying there was nothing i could do in that situation 
And that was really the moment where I was, I was like, I don't have to live like this. I don't eat. This is what, is there going to be an incident if I get held up? And then there was at around the same time, this woman was walking her daughter and she got hit by a car and, and she pushed her stroller out of the way and got ran up and grabbed. This was in Venice. It happened and it was, it kind of went viral. And I was like, no, I'm not doing this. Having a kid made me feel so vulnerable in that city in a way that I, I was not aware of how much fear I was, I was carrying around with me just and, and then also every single walk I went on, I'm not, and maybe it was just a function of where I lived in West LA, which was very much a crossroads of, it was just like a weird no man's land part of town. So you say it's very segregated, but where we lived, it was kind of where two major freeways converge, two other roads that are major arteries in to east to west of the city, close to the rail. It was just like, easy for people to get away. And so I feel like there was also just a lot of crime and a lot of drifting. There was a mental, there was a government building down the street and another state mental something or other. So there was just a lot of, it it had, we had a lot of kind of just drifters coming through a lot. So every time I would take her on a walk. Government employees should wear badges. So, you know, okay, they're not, those kind of drifters, right? They're grift, <laughs> grifters and drifters, maybe. A little bit yeah, the, there's just every single time I took a walk, I had to kind of divert. You know, there, yeah. it's like, oh, there's a crazy person uh, above. I Or there's someone passed out on the, oh, there's a community that popped up. It's just, I don't. Yeah. Maybe I'm a maybe I'm a pussy, but I don't want to. I don't want to. I just didn't want to live like that. Yeah, you I didn't really want her are... to have to see that either. The how do you explain that kind of dehumanization to a kid? Yeah, you know, preferably in a language they don't understand, right? <laughs> I don't know, but well, so you moved, and and this is as important as you leave California, but the place you moved to is Austin, Texas. Why, why Texas? Why Austin? Because I'm betting, you know, you said you're a liberal at heart, you know, you're from New England or, you know, or your formative years were there. Like, I'm sure the 20 year old version of you and the 30 year old version of you, conceivably the 40 year old version of you was like, I cannot imagine a world in which I am like, I got to get to Texas, right? Texas, Texas was kind of the opposite imaginary place of California, right? California's, you know, these beaches and bronzed, muscled bodies, Texas is cowboy hats and, you know, dragging people behind pickup trucks and (laughs) stuff like that, right? It's Uh, where the bushes are from. Yeah, I think my version of Texas is a little closer to Dallas and Dazed and Confused. That was the media representation I grew up with. Okay, well, and and Dazed and Confused, not really, uh, you know, not an advertisement, you know, for for tourism, really, (laughs) right? Maybe Dallas. Yeah, I think... Definitely, I would have. I joke, you know, if you told me when I got sober that I would end up a suburban Texas mom, I probably yeah. would have just kept drinking. <laughs> <laughs> that, 
Yeah, there's no, and it's funny hearing my aunts, you know, who are very like left wing East Coast. They're yeah. like, Texas? Why? Yeah. Oh, you've God. given them the like, greatest gift of all time, right? An inexhaustible supply of like, what is wrong with you? I've always loved Austin. Um, I started coming here when I was, the first time I came was South by Southwest in 2001 or two, I think one. And I was, really young. We drove my friend who ran a website called Buddy Head. We decided in the middle of the night that we were going to drive to Texas because we were 20. You know, that's that's what you do. And we drove straight through without stopping. We just switched driving and showed up and went to this awesome band that we loved. It was just rock star stuff. And I loved it. I liked it. But I mean, God, that was on 6th Street. 6th Street is not the same 6th Street it was back in, you know, 25 explain, years ago. Explain what 6th Street is and what has Sixth it become. Street, 6th Street was like this quaint one street that had a bunch of kind of honky-tonk punk rock bands. It was very weird. It it, it just it just had its own vibe that was very... Um, it was magical. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was it was just really and cool. It had this kind of essence of of coolness to it that right. I could weirdness, never achieve. Right? And weirdness. weirdness. That was the whole kind of keep, keep Austin, Austin weird. weird type stuff, right? Well, I have a lot of friends who have lived here for a long time and they're yeah. like, What you don't hear is the second part of that, which is keep Austin surrounded. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with with the red with the red folks yeah. um <laughs> and so we that was fun i went again i returned many times i have family in then i drove around when i started my company fantasy in 2006 i took it on the road and we my we ended up staying in i have family that lives in the kind of four corners area where uh, like Oklahoma, Texas kind of all converge up by, by Joplin, Missouri area. And they had a farm and we were driving the gator around. And I don't know, it just something I spent enough time that I was, I was really, I was like, these are the people who are going to survive when the shit hits the fan. It's not going to be any of these like paper pushing pansies on either coast. It's going to be, these folks who know how to do stuff and have frozen meat that they, you know, they have cows and they, they're, they come home and they have a headache and they shoot at the raccoons to kind of alleviate <laughs> this. That, that I was really taken by how capable the, the people were. And I grew up in Minnesota too, where I graduated from high school. So it, it reminds me of those kind of Midwestern Central America roots where people actually deal know how to do stuff. And if they kill somebody, they eat the body, right? <laughs> you know, they don't let they use the whole animal, right? <laughs> it's like the they use the whole <laughs> buffalo. Um But what yeah. was what was intriguing? I mean, I guess there's two ways of of asking this. One is, you know, Austin. Austin. I mean, describe Austin now because it, you know, it has for Austin a long time. Austin is Echo Park in 2000. Yeah. So I'm, unpack that for people who aren't familiar with uh, Well, LA. first of all, 6th Street is very different now. And it's, 
I don't know. Cause I was kind of like, ah, it's gross. And somebody, I was like, there's nowhere really like this in LA other than maybe Venice, maybe, but even Venice isn't the same as sixth street. Sixth street is more akin to like new Orleans, you know, uh, during Mardi Gras, but it's like every weekend just the this street shuts down. There's no traffic allowed on it. Um, the side streets as well off sixth street. And it's just kind of hordes of people. It always seems like there are more people in the street than are actually in any of the establishments too. It's weird. Um, and this is where Joe opened his club too. Right. So Joe, Joe you, Rogan, Joe Rogan. So you get, um, you get a, a glimpse. I get a glimpse of it quite frequently. And, it's it's rowdy, you know, it's it's different. It's different than the sixth street I remember twenty five years ago, but that was twenty five years ago. So things are gonna change. Um, so you do so you yeah, go, I'm sorry, go ahead. Austin, I would say, and we don't live in Austin. We live outside of Austin. My husband didn't really want to live in Austin and and I didn't either to the extent that we both felt like it was Los Angeles like twenty years ago. There is the tech has come in. There's that, and it will inevitably destroy the city like it destroys every city that it moves into. Um, it just does. What is up with that? Why, it yeah, really why do just you, does. What do you mean by that? And, and why do you think that happens? I mean, we saw it in San Francisco. Then it, they moved to LA. Then we saw it there. Austin's probably next on the list of, of place of scouts so that it, they're going to collect. Is it, what is it about tech bros? They're like uh, high functioning zombies or something. What, how do they destroy places? I just don't, I don't know what it is. I, I think it probably has to do with, the income inequality that occurs. So you have people moving in with these extremely well-paying jobs into places and it drives up rents and drives up housing prices and drives up um, like douchiness. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> but then it creates a lot of, it just creates this massive wealth inequality. Before we continue with the Reason interview with Bridget Phetasy, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, BetterHelp Online Therapy. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. If you are having any sort of trouble in your life, you might benefit from therapy. And I want to tell you that BetterHelp is a great service. Whether you're feeling anxious, depressed, or just like you're not the best version of yourself, BetterHelp is entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I know personally it's a great service because I used it myself for about two years, and it really made a difference. It helped me work through some difficult stuff. Visit betterhelp.com TRI today to get 10% off your first month. The TRI stands for the Reason Interview, so make sure to get a discount on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash T-R-I. And now back to the Reason interview with Bridget Phetasy. And is it that they, I'm thinking about places, I guess Seattle as well, maybe Seattle. alongside San Francisco, but where it not only drives up the price of stuff because these are people who can afford a lot, but they also are troubled by you know, homelessness or, or, but they don't want to build more housing. Uh, you know, so it's <laughs> like 
a bunch of kind of, uh, you know, positions that are against themselves. So they actually end up creating, you know, they're all for diversity, but they end up creating a world that is more regulated and more restricted and more expensive. So you get the income inequality and you get, you know, you know, zombified homeless people who it would be wrong to, you know, remove them on some level. I think too, it's, I really, I mean, LA in some ways, it started reminding me of Cape Town, you know, where mm. where wow. everyone of my neighbors was building a wall. So it, I was it feels like in there's just going to be kind of rich and poor and and people who are struggling and on the streets or criminals and these wealthy people who can afford to put up gates and live behind them. And if you're well enough off, you can kind of insulate yourself from a certain amount of the crime and the the degradation in the city. You can go join a beach club. You can join a golf club. There's places you can go to escape. And we, you know, that was the other thing that drove us out is we're just not wealthy enough to afford I would never get ahead in California. Mm. And once I had a daughter, the those cost benefit and you know it's hard. We have family there, my mother-in-law's there, but I I want to get ahead for her. It's not just even about me and my husband doing so well. You, you didn't move to Austin or Texas because it's in a few years it's going to be as bad as LA, right? <laughs> Um, yeah, probably. It is, it is cheaper. Um, you know, can you talk a little bit about what it's like to live, you know, in, in a way, in a, a few years ago, a woman named Erica Grider, who used to write for Texas Monthly, I think she's at the Houston Chronicle now, wrote a book called something like Flat Hot. And I have it. Yeah. God, I, I can't remember the last it? thing. It's like, uh, I have that book. But she's yeah, great. And it's about the difference that, you know, California kind of the, the, the thing it offers its citizens or its residents is relatively high taxes or high taxes and a promise of high services. Texas is relatively low taxes and low service. Um, and she points out, I think, quite aptly that, you know, it, that neither of those stereotypes is quite true. But it's, you know, in general, Texas taxes you less and gives you less. California taxes you more and says it'll give you more. But the result is that a place like Texas is a lot cheaper um, because it's easier to build housing and it's easier to start businesses and things like that. Is, Somewhat. You know, the first experience I had with Texas was not great because I had a bad, I think probably just from stress of moving, but I had a health, like my, something was wrong with me and I was used we can't afford individual PPOs here in Texas. And I'm not even sure they sell them for individuals. It, if they do, it's completely cost prohibitive. You can get a PPO if you're with a corporation. That's usually how people have them. But if you're not, you are, I had to go on an HMO, which I've had no experience with HMOs because in California, you can get an individual. I've been paying for, you know, health insurance since I was freelance forever because I didn't want to put my family in the poor. It was always my second biggest expense after rent, which is also insane. But I was used to paying that. And so, and it was decent. You know, I went to great doctors and I I had like a pretty high deductible, but it was still, I could still manage it. Here, 
it was relatively a little bit cheaper, but not for the the deductibles were insane. I never was used to having to wait for a referral to go see a doc. I it was I was like, what did I get myself into? And they do get you in Texas on property taxes. That's where they make up for not having an income tax because the property taxes are like two point X amount percent in some places. Some places not, but around Austin, they're it's very high. They're not that high in California. But the housing is it much more expensive in California. So like, just to give you an example, the the 1200 square foot house that is 100 years old and a teardown on a small lot went for $1.5 million. And I think they got like, it, it's just crazy. It's crazy to me that- That's in, in LA. That was in LA, the place yeah. that we were renting. They sold it after we left. So- that just shows you just how high the market is. So there's no way we could have afforded to buy that. No way. That place. And you you can still get three times the amount of house outside of Austin um, for half the price. So it's still, you can still be a middle-class person. You can still, you can still get, I mean, by locals, it's, everything's gone up. If you've lived here forever, you're you're like, what happened to my city? But for people coming from California, New York, or anywhere, many other places, it's still reasonable. Do you like the vibe in Austin and Texas more generally? Um, you had mentioned in California or in LA that, you know, there was this presumption that everybody agreed about politics or, you know, I guess other things as well. Is it the same in Austin and it's just that people have a different politics that you're more comfortable with or are people more like, I don't know what you believe and, you know, let's talk about it or I don't know what you believe and I don't really care. I'll tell you what I like the most right out of, out of the gates. I don't assume somebody with an American flag is a conservative. I just, there's, there's a general sense of, and maybe this is just in my neighborhood, but there's a general sense of still everybody's an American. There isn't, they might be a liberal, they might be a conservative. I don't know what their politics are, but it like the American flag for a lot of people in liberal cities became this sign. I don't, I don't know how conservatives managed to like capture the American flag as a symbol, but <laughs> Um, they did, or maybe the liberals kind of gave it to them or surrendered it. So it became this kind of almost people were embarrassed to have American flags up. So I like that. It does. I know that part of it is just that the, I run in more heterodox circles. So there seems to be a lot more diversity of thought and people, I was at an event this past weekend, Megan Dom's unspeakeasy. She had and I spoke at it and then after, and there was a lot of dissent and conversation and people not agreeing and pushing back. And it was refreshing to be in a room at a party where not everyone agreed or had to agree. And it's not and, like people were being dicks or something, right? No, no. It was just, yeah. just like, oh, what, you know, people were, were pushing back against certain things. And then even one of my pieces came up that I regret being, I wrote a piece called I regret being a slut. 
And there were some women there who took issue, not took issue, but they, they were like, we're going to write a rebuttal to this. And then there started this conversation about promiscuity and how women felt about it. And the study is studies that were done. And it was just nice to have so many differing opinions on one topic. And I noticed that people feel, from what I can tell, more free to just speak their mind. There does, I I did feel once my like stressful stomach went away that I could exhale a little bit. And the other thing is, is I'm not that fight or flight that I didn't realize I was always in until I would go to somewhere like Joshua Tree. Once I was able to really exhale, I I realized how first of all, everything kind of slows down in Texas and it's not so crazy and aggressive and everyone's running around trying to get theirs like they are in Los Angeles. It just feels like a different pace and it's, it's really nice. It's just like, it's so quiet at night. I hear, I hear critters and their stars and I, I don't know, it's been, it took me a minute to adjust, but three months, two months in, I will, I will say I'm starting to really like the vibe. And I think Austin's still weird, but it's got, you know, I I went to the domain, which is like a big outdoor shopping mall. And I was like the (laughs) CLA, this is just Los Angeles. And so there's a lot of, of LA culture coming into Austin. And, but part of the reason that I moved here is because I can still be my industry is here. Most of like all of my podcast friends moved here and whether that's the industry I thought I was going into, that's where I am. I have three different podcasts now and there's a lot of people creating entertainment and Joe Rogan bringing his comedy club here. It's become this kind of center of the universe for comedy. So there were, we wanted to like get property in Idaho and check out, but I'm not quite, quite there yet. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, you know, and there's winter in Idaho. You got to deal yeah. with, right? Where, uh, Texas. Well, we're dealing with the heat here right yeah, now. Yeah, so for sure. this for is sure. our winter. Um, you had said earlier, uh, well, or I guess, be, um, you know, how much of it do you think is, you know, your, is the appeal of this for you? It's, you know, it's partly where you are in your life. So it's, you know, less about LA or Austin per se. And it's more of like, okay, where you are. I mean, that seems to be part of it, but then there's this, you know, interesting, you know, fact that like California is no longer the destination for people. It's places like Texas and Florida, despite, uh, you know, kind of the, um, divisiveness of the state politics in a lot of ways. I mean, Greg Abbott is not as big a, uh, you know, a kind of, culture warrior, I guess, as Ron DeSantis in Florida. But both states are in Republican, you know, Republican-held legislators, but they're also vast. And I know a lot of liberals who live in Texas and Florida, and they would rather have a different kind of government, but they're also like, you know, we can still, you know, say whatever we want to say. We can, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's not actual like fascism or something. But what do you think accounts for the fact that Texas is, you know, by most accounts is going to surpass California. 
as this you know country's most populous state by like about 2050 or so wow. uh, it, keeps, it keeps speeding up for a while yeah. it's going to be like 2070 and it um you know is because it's so it's not just you at your point in your life you know people are choosing texas over california over new york what do you think it is cost of living there is still if you're i it just even even young people it would be really hard to try and afford los angeles as a young person just trying to make your way because it's it really has even like the rents are just so insane i can't i don't know how young people are doing it so and i know that they're going up here in austin there's there's a lot of stuff that's kind of apples to apples that I that even going to the farmers market I'm like it's not cheaper than Los Angeles, um, so there's a lot of stuff that is the same. But overall, gas is cheaper. They you know there's just there the cost of living is not as bad yet. Um, also, I I would say there's an energy people are attracted to energy. So there's an energy of growth. There are cranes downtown. There's this growth vibe. People seem excited to be there. There's, there's, when I go to the club, it's just such, people are excited to go to the club. I love talking to the people in line. There's, it's become like a, a destination event for people to go and see this club and do all these other things in Austin. So I th I think that that's attractive and the vibe in California is like a it's like hospice you know it's just like it seems like a LA felt like a dying city to me it felt like a city that was on the this does not feel that way Austin feels vibrant and also there are so many young families when I was downtown just on a Friday night, there were so many people walking around with their kids, not on sixth street, but on just <laughs> everywhere else in the city. And yeah. that was really appealing to me as someone who has a kid. But even if I was a young couple and I wanted kids, or even if I was a young person, I, you want to move somewhere where you can kind of, it's like getting a house where the master bedroom is on the first floor so you can grow into it. Right. <laughs> you know, but you can, yeah, can't yeah. grow into Los Angeles. You can't age into it. They'll kick you out anyways. <laughs> <laughs> have you spent any time traveling around Texas yet? Or do you have... No, but I'm really excited to do that. Yeah. Because I think there's so... It's such a cool state. There's so... There's a lot of natural, natural beauty in mm -hmm. Texas as yeah. well. And it's very and, varied. Uh, you know, it's geographically, it's often uh, compared... It's like about the size of France. And, um, you know, it's really distinct. Uh, yeah, it's huge too. It's just... Yeah. There's so much. And I have friends who are showing me their property. And they're, it's like up really high in this elevation. I didn't even know that this kind of this landscape existed in Texas. And I think that there's, and honestly, I went, we went out for ice cream the other night and on Father's Day, actually. And in the ice cream shop, I was, the other thing that's striking to me, my neighborhood, my everywhere we go, it, it was a more diverse crowd, actually diverse than anywhere I had ever been in West LA. It was just, when I went into this ice cream shop, it was striking to see just how 
many different kinds of people were in this ice cream shop at one time, this tiny place they make. It it was just, I don't know. There's something refreshing about it. It felt like actually diverse instead of, um, instead of this like fake, oh, we want diversity, but then everywhere you go, it's like rich white people. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, in a, another piece for The Spectator, you had talked about, and I guess you mentioned it earlier about, you know, seeing yourself in the suburbs, you talk about the diversity of where you live, you know, yeah. and it's, it's a fact rather than an aspiration or a pretense. Um, you know, do you... Um, you know, what, what else do you like about the suburbs? Um, you know, as opposed to, you know, because I, you know, I know where you were living in LA and whatnot in LA in many ways is a very suburban city. It's certainly not like New York or San Francisco or Boston, you know, within the city it's, you know, it's kind of suburban, but so what, what do you like about the suburbs in Texas? Well, I feel like I'd be a lot more comfortable allowing my daughter to be a little more free range mm-hmm. than in Los Angeles. The minute she you know, can walk, you are like, okay, you can you can go out but, the front door. Yeah, go for it. Um, you can you can walk wherever you want. No, she. I do think that I see little kids riding around on bikes, little alone, yeah. just like eight, nine years old, which is we we grew up like that. So. There's this idea I think of, and this was one thing I heard over and over and over again before we moved here, because we did our due diligence. We came here three or four times, looked all around at different areas and, you know, I got to pay attention to things like school systems now, just stuff. I, I didn't ever have to factor any of this into any of the equations when I was moving somewhere. It was literally usually like, all right, I'm I'm moving. And then I didn't know where or didn't have a job or anything and just would go. Um, I still think, yeah, I still, I can still see the, I still think like California and I still love New York. I, when I, whenever I take the train into New York, it's just my heart gets so excited seeing the skyline in New York. These are still great, important cities. And I think, and I'm hoping they're just going through a kind of phase that cities go through often. And then we see this kind of, you know, swing back to more, I don't know, law and order or whatever, whatever you want to call it. But I do, I do think America's changing. I just, there, I said this on Rogan in 2020. I, I feel like we live in a really fascinating time where there is just a lot of literal movement. You know, there's just a lot of people moving from different places. And like you said, there's this, I don't know. I think the people who are liberal in red states are actually a lot more unhinged than the people who are liberal in blue states. Really? Can you? Yeah, it uh, just seems like they have to like really prove themselves, you know. Like oh, so this, they're like, like they're like, like acting out. Yeah, they're the uh, <laughs> like English colonials living in the middle of a colony in the jungle who dress for tea and you know play tennis in long pants and stuff, right? They I don't know. Just, more, they have to be more English than the English because they're afraid they might go native something something weird it just feels very much like they have to be um more aggressive you know they're they're in these 
these like oppressive hate states or whatever they right. consider it. Um, but do, it's you, a- do you still consider yourself politically homeless? Uh, that's the first time we talked. Um, you had recently written the uh, battle battle hymn of the politically homeless. I think also for the spectator, but um, which was very striking. You know that yeah. you are a person who is not insane or you know extreme, and as a result. You literally had no, you know, no place to be in terms of contemporary major mainstream politics. Do you still feel that way or do you feel like you're finding a home somewhere? I still feel pretty lost, although I I do think that I'm a lot more comfortable rejecting. What I will say is that I don't feel as insecure so I feel more secure rejecting the left and not accepting that I'm of the right because that's how everybody wants to define you. And even the media will sometimes position people that way. And, you know, Stephen Miller, not the Stephen Miller who worked for Trump, but he wrote this piece about RFK Jr. And I'm kind of fascinated with his rise because he seems to represent these left-wing people who were happy to, as he says in his piece, they were very happy to let the media think it was all these right-wing bigots who weren't getting vaccinated. And they were the, they were the crazy right-wing people when there was a pretty large population in the left-wing who just kind of kept their heads down and didn't get the vaccine either, didn't want it quietly whispered amongst themselves, got fake vaccine cards. Like this, this was a whole real thing that I saw in LA. Yeah, that was fast. You know, and I know there was a Pew uh, research study in the early teens, which asked conservatives and liberals, you know, are you, you know, pro or anti-vaccine? So this is before COVID and uh, the uh, kind of progressive left was slightly more anti-vaccine oh, than yeah. the far right. And I, you know, that didn't go away uh, no. because of COVID. No, it got worse. Yeah. So, but, yeah. but you're saying you feel more confident saying I don't, I'm not left wing and us, and are you more comfortable saying I am right wing or that by saying I'm not left wing, it doesn't mean ergo, you know, I am right wing. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I, I'm not right wing. I don't think maybe I am maybe, I mean, that might be something that I realize slowly, but I don't feel like the kind of like boomer conservative right wing every time i think maybe i am right wing (laughs) like something will come out of the right wing and i'm like never mind what is a boomer boomer conservative right winger who who, i don't know like like that boomer con kind of right way like there's just a level of um there is some kind of like old school bigotry or racism that kind of comes out where you're like oh okay calm down um and i don't definitely not that yeah, the, and I think too, just working for Playboy and being very online and having that be my first experience of being very online, but then also getting called, uh, you know, the scourge of the earth is feminists who have sex or whatever. That made me suspicious of of the right. It gave me a healthy dose of what actually they say to people who aren't in their tribe as well, women particularly. And 
I don't know. I find it weird to be just a woman in regards to all the parties right now because it's just a strange, it feels strange to be, it's just strange. Yeah, I, I don't know that, I don't know that I, I don't know. But if I was, if push came to shove and it was like Biden versus DeSantis, I would maybe vote for DeSantis. Yeah. How come? I've never said that publicly. Okay. Um, because I don't, because Biden seems like an empty suit and I don't know. That is really I mean, it, kind of unkind to empty suits, I think, <laughs> but. I don't know who's in charge. I feel like at least with DeSantis, even if I don't agree with them. You would even, know that it's his wife is definitely in charge. I would know yeah. that somebody, he he seems competently a, attempting to make decisions and he seems like he makes them on his own and with the help of reading. And um, so I maybe it's more just that I would prefer to have somebody who is like I actually can hold that I know who's doing things. Maybe that's naive of me. I also don't entirely disagree with his pushback against um, like things like ESG and uh, all of these um, forces that I think undermine the ability for somebody to take a risk and start a new business. It just seems like it's these forces that generally favor large corporations, multinational corporations, and they certainly don't favor anybody who's trying to take a risk and come up. And I don't even know how you would come up in that system. So there are things like that that I agree with. There's, uh, you know, you wrote... If I, I may just on the on the kind of point of political homelessness and 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 again, I'm not saying you should be moving to the right. I, I don't you know, personally, I don't consider myself of the right or left. Not. And I, I see that as a personal failing, really. It's not like a point of pride. It's just. Yeah, no, I feel um, that way, too. I don't but, see myself as, as either. And it, it feels kind of gross. <laughs> yeah. But you you wrote a really interesting piece in um, in the spectator called Why Pride Lost the Public, uh, where you talk to a lot of gay activists or or in public intellectuals who are gay as well as activists and trans activists. Um, and it was really interesting where you were essentially saying or or you know what happened or you were trying to figure out what happened that people uh, accepted homosexuality and transgender stuff pretty quickly. Um, and now there's, you know, there's polling data suggests that even among Democrats, you know, that they're a little bit less like the general population is a little bit looking more askance to kind of gay rights or trans rights. Can you kind of summarize what you found in that story and how, you know, that kind of informs your thinking on that kind of matter? Yeah, I real I started I realized I was asking the wrong question when I was writing that piece. So, I started with the question, will the social conservative backlash to gay marriage cost them moderates and independents? And 
my first question when I would speak to all of these brilliant people who everyone should at least be listening to, because I feel like living as some like Andrew Sullivan fought for gay marriage. He's these are Glenn Greenwald. They live. I wanted to speak to people who live as gay and transsexual humans and have to live with the consequences of this backlash, but aren't necessarily all in on gender ideology and whatnot. And they all really answered me immediately with a, it was inevitable, which made me realize I was asking the wrong question. And the question is what happened to pride that made this inevitable? And they have such, they gave me so much insight, Douglas Murray, James Kerchick, just how, I mean, on, on its face, it was pretty clear. They all said like they came for the kids. So this was something that was, they were very clear about during the, the gay rights movement, you know, where this is for adults, pride is for adults. We're, we're not trying to, one of the oldest tropes is that that gays are pedophiles and groomers. And now you're seeing, like as Katie Herzog said in the piece, you're seeing the resurgence of this old trope coming back. And they, this activism has turned towards school systems and the kids. And so that was one thing that they were all talking about and how you have to draw a line in the sand and say no to this. The other thing is... I mean, it was so many things. It was like the corporatization of pride and ESG again, which if you think down any story. It's always a good day when, or a good pride month when, um, you know, the CIA puts the the (laughs) trans flag up, right? And says, you know, we welcome, you know, as long as you want to kill people. And, you know, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, legitimate or not, but, you know. (laughs) It's so dumb. And we don't care it's, who you sleep with or how you def- what your pro- what your uh, pronouns are, right? Yeah, just make sure you're willing yeah. to yeah, kill to people. Blind obedience is the only <laughs> prerequisite. Um, and but would you agree that there's something about the kind of you know DeSantis style Republicanism where you know it's one thing to say you know it's fucked up when your kids are being raised as a different gender at their local public school which won't tell the parents what they're doing right um, but then you know that i i find it hard to believe anybody is like oh yeah that you know yeah that should be allowed but then it seems like a lot of republicans and conservatives and even DeSantis himself seems to be a little bit kind of homophobic or a little mm. they're very uneasy with kind of sexual difference or or even i don't know you know uh ethnic and multiracial difference that you know is is not somehow apologetic because is, is that something you sense from him i i don't yeah. i don't know i sense this is the thing too that led me to read start this article was like this under i could see it this kind of using the the pushback against pride and the gender ideology yeah. as cover for homophobia. You know, yeah, just I mean, like, I think I, yeah, yeah. Or that, you know, like we've got to revisit gay marriage now that we've mm. established that trans activists or, you know, extremists are trying to groom children. Maybe we should look back at gay marriage and things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, have they, have they said this? 
I don't know. I mean, I, that's my sense of things. Um, Interesting. You know, but I, I was asking you, and uh, you know, I'm not trying to push you in that direction. I do think that piece is phenomenal because I, in a lot of your writing, and you know, it's I, I don't mean to undermine the compliment, but it's like you actually talk to a wide variety of people who are conversant in the topic that you're investigating, and it yields incredible uh, results. And it's not just in that piece. And you know, it's uh, it's a weird time for journalism when you say like, oh, you know, Bridget, your journalism is spectacular because you do exactly what journalists are supposed to do, but kind of stop doing at I, some you, point. It's funny. I wish my whole Playboy body of work was not erased because I would say once a month, at least I used to do a piece like this on a topic where I would speak to just a wide variety of even men about balding, for instance. And those were, they're they're not easy those pieces but they're they i loved doing them and this piece in particular because there were so many i so many threads that i had to let go that were just brilliant i mean douglas murray was saying all this stuff about how essentially what gay culture is doing now it used to be like we're just like you and now it's no, we have to go consult with the sparkly magic pixie and they only they know how to be fabulous and they know how to live. And this was a I could write a whole piece just about that, but it, it would have taken away from the just finding that through line, even the ESG stuff. I when I went down that rabbit hole with why are these why does everyone turn their, you know, logo rainbow? It's not because they actually give a shit. It's because they want liquidity <laughs> you know it's like they want investment money and it's so it's so cynical and 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 upsetting you know then i don't know it's just it makes me somewhat more cynical and again that was something i kind of had to brush over not to mention the ngos needing to exist and and make sure that they still have paychecks and a reason to so everybody they do these ridiculous things and then they fundraise off the backlash. And yeah, I think DeSantis, I don't know. He seems to be when he's trying to appeal to like that MAGA base or, or the, the Trumpism, he always comes off as that's when he's the most off putting to me. Mm -hmm. People say he's kind of boring and policy driven, but that's when I actually find him. Yeah appealing that should I yeah, do that's that's not a bad thing right yeah i did i thought what he did with with covid in florida mm -hmm. was he did seem to be taking in a lot of information and making decisions of his own that weren't necessarily popular to anyone at the time and but he seemed to be going off it, i felt like he was trying to make a decision. But yeah, I don't, I don't know enough about, I, I haven't heard, I haven't heard the, cause he seems to have a pretty broad support even amongst like Hispanics and Cubans. And so I would assume that they're, they're not picking up on an aversion to multiculturalism. Right. As as a lived reality, yeah, yeah, uh, and certainly he won re-election. You know, he barely got in uh, the first term. He won by a 
you know, the slimmest landslide. And then second time, yeah, really yeah, was bigger with every group. Um, I, I guess as a, as a final question, you know, the, I mean, it's interesting to think about um, how parenthood changes people uh, politically and ideologically. Mm. And I know I, you know, as somebody who's always been libertarian, I think having kids didn't affect me that much in many ways. It probably made me more libertarian because I think I, you know, I wanted to be able to raise my kids the way that I wanted to. Uh, and I apologize to them for that almost every day for having done that. <laughs> but, um, I know a lot of people who say, oh, you know, I was a libertarian until I had kids and now I'm a conservative. Um, has motherhood changed you in a, in a way, or, you know, again, if you're still somewhere, you know, the parties are different than, you know, being conservative or liberal or, or anything, but, how has motherhood changed you in terms of kind of the way you think about politics or what you think about, like, what's a good society and what's a bad society? Mm, I guess I have to think about it now, don't I? <laughs> I guess so. I'll give you like five seconds, you know? Cause... Uh, no, I mean, I, that was something that I, I, I don't, I don't know if it's changed me or if I was already changing. I don't, I don't know. I feel like, I was so idealistic and liberal and living in, in a place like California where it, I couldn't really, I couldn't really point the finger at conservatives and blame them for the, the lack of help and support for homeless people and drug addiction. And there, it seemed like everything was just kind of allowed and no, there were no parents in the room and no guardrails or anything. And it just, doesn't seem like it's going great that experiment. So maybe yeah, and that's really profound uh, to you know point out. California has a super majority of uh, super Democrats majority at every level. It's whatever else you can say. You you can't blame you know the five conservatives or Republicans no. in the state. No, no, and that was that was hard for me to really accept. And seeing how many people are fleeing and the gaslighting that goes on, where they're like they'll try and tell you that people aren't leaving California. And I'm like, you lost a seat. Like, what do you, you lost a seat in the Senate. What are you talking about? You can't, you can try and trick people into believing that that's true, but numbers don't lie. How many billion dollar corporations need to leave? You'll, they'll literally say they're not leaving. I'm like, they, they are leaving. <laughs> they're, they're literally leaving. You can lie to the population for a long time, but at a certain point, reality kind of, I always say reality remains undefeated. So I'm not, I'm not sure. I actually think it's interesting to live in Texas because it's hard to tell where I was because I was just reacting to such extremely liberal policies in California. So I'm, I feel like at least here I'll have a chance to sit and sort through what I actually believe about things because I'm not just reacting to like, what you're letting 12 year olds leave their families. What you're, you're letting, you're going to punish a therapist for not transitioning a seven year old. Like this stuff is, this stuff is insane to me. And I worry about the backlash to it though. I do. I mean, I wish I would love to see, I honestly would love to see as much as it pains me to say, 
Gavin versus DeSantis. Gavin Newsom versus DeSantis. At least they're young and I feel like they're representative of the kind of two warring factions in America that play out online and play out at their extremes on the streets. Um, yeah, that would so be I, a very, uh, you know, I'm not sure that I would be comfortable with either of those people. Winning, I don't, I don't but, know that I would either. Yeah, but I agree it would be the clearest kind of distinction <clears throat> or or fight between two major models of governance that um do you have a third party person that you're getting behind as a libertarian? Not right now. I mean, um, no, the LP is, uh, you know, they're sorting through stuff that it's not clear who their candidate is. It going to be, be like Dave Smith or it someone? Could be, it could be Dave Smith. It could be, uh, you know, Justin Amash. It could be, or mm. neither of those people. Um, and I've, so I don't know. And then, you know, people like Robert Kennedy Jr., we talked to him, uh, Reason, myself and uh, a colleague talked to him at length. I don't think he's um, a particularly compelling alternative. Um, and, you know, uh, it's still, I guess, kind of early in the process, but I don't hold out a lot of hope for, um, you know, the, the president to be the person who changes or saves America anyway. But um, yeah. But I do agree. I mean, you know, you were saying it's, you know, a while ago that it's really interesting. There's so much odd stuff going on or so, you know, in, in a good way. I mean, like, I feel like we are, you know, we're still stuck in kind of 20th century mindsets and attitudes and institutions. And they're clearly gone like that. You know, they, they're not working. But what that new kind of consensus or backstop and, uh, you know, and kind of like baseline is going to be isn't quite clear yet. Um, and, you know, once we, as we get there, you know, we'll have new problems to worry about. But I, you know, I, I'm still waiting for the 21st century to really begin on, on a profound level. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I find everything very fascinating right now, but I do weirdly breathe easier being in Texas. <laughs> sure. That's uh, fascinating, uh, you know, and that's a, that's a good note to end on. I want to thank you, uh, Bridget Fetisi, for talking to Reason. And, thank you for uh, having me. Continue to enjoy uh, the Lone Star State. I will. I love it. This has been the Reason interview with Nick Gillespie. Before you do anything else, please go to Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. Sign up, subscribe, get them delivered automatically into your inbox. We're doing two episodes a week. You don't want to miss anything. The other way you can subscribe, and this is actually a better way, go to reason.com slash podcasts and sign up there. And while you're at reason.com slash podcasts, you can check out the Reason Roundtable and the SOHO Forum Debates, our two other regular podcast series. If you like the Reason interview, you're going to love these two shows at reason.com slash podcast. Thanks so much for listening.